Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together out loud, chapter by chapter, and right now, book by book, as we go through like the whole span of the Bible here. We're going all the way from Genesis uh, all the way into the New Testament here. And so we're looking at this really big hinge moment today and yesterday, yesterday with Pastor Boy, David Boisclair talking about Second Chronicles 36 and the destruction and downfall of Judah and Jerusalem and the temple. Uh, today, in Nehemiah chapter 6 now, we're picking it up and looking at, okay, so what do you do with the ruins and the rubble and trying to rebuild? Um, and, and you see actually here that Nehemiah, uh, it's, a, it's a really just a cool story. Um, it's just one of these many stories, I think, in the Bible where there's a, there's a conspiracy, there's a plot, there's, a, there's a, a, all these people getting together and trying to cause the harm and plot the, the downfall of God's people, but God just flips, his, flips the script. He turns it around on him. Uh, that's what we got for us today. Joining us as our guest, we've got Pastor Doug Nicely, pastor at Jerusalem Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois. For some reason, I always say this, that your church's name just feels very appropriate to whatever we're reading. I, I mean, it's probably going to happen a lot, but it feels very appropriate today. It does. I, I don't know if I had told you this before, but uh, do you know um, Pastor Jerry Juris, who worked with the CTCR for a long time? Uh, maybe. Go on. He's an old friend. At any rate, um, he, he did some research after he went to our church as a mission speaker one time and found out that we are the only Jerusalem Lutheran Church in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Is that right? Yeah. Isn't that strange? That is surprising. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a fairly common word in the Bible. You'd think mm -hmm. that more than one, well, you know. Maybe we shouldn't name every single one St. Paul's and Trinity. That's right. <laughs> I mean, those are good names, but they don't all have to be named that. No, they don't. <laughs> but, but anyways, uh, yeah, well, welcome back, brother. Uh, good well, good to have well. you. And, uh, and, and yeah, this is, this is a neat story. And, it is. Well, it, it's one that I don't know why it's not more well known. It's just, it's just really cool stuff. I think after the I think after the the uh, Babylonian exile, uh, it's like everybody quit studying because it was all depressing. I, but, uh, I, yeah, but but this is this is a as you said this is a this is a bright shining moment uh, moment in the midst of a lot of darkness. Yeah, and, it, and it's and it's been a while now since we uh, took a look yesterday at Second uh, Chronicles twenty six. It's been yeah, no, that's right. A lot of past. things have happened. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, I, and I think that uh, in just a moment, I'll, I'll ask if you can try to let may, maybe kind of bridge the gap for us. And, and uh, because there, there is, I mean, th this is, as you were saying, a, a part of the history where uh, it, it's, it's kind of fuzzy to us uh, because, uh, yeah, we do sometimes just say, and Jerusalem, you know, just was destroyed. And, and then it was like, and then Jesus. Well, there, there's a few centuries at least. Uh, yes. But before before we get there, in just a second, would you, brother, uh, open us up with a word of prayer? Sir, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be able to study your word, and maybe especially those places where we normally don't read or don't study or intentionally pay that much attention. What an opportunity this is for us, the, the way we're studying the word and in this program, to be able to uh, cover those uh, those books and those chapters that we might have missed before. Help us to learn something new. And, of course, 
to apply the lessons learned in Nehemiah to our lives today. We pray in Jesus, the Savior's name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, uh, yeah. So last time we we talked about, I mean, and it felt like it was kind of going fast too. We talked about all these different kings, and, and we saw how uh, some of them didn't last for much longer than than three months or so. Right. Um, but but things really quickly uh, just there's this back and forth between Egypt and Assyria and then Babylon. Um, but now here in Nehemiah, we're not even dealing. Uh, with Babylon. This was what we got at the very tail end of Second Chronicles 36. Persia rolls onto the scene. So yeah, right. catch us up. What's what's going on? How do we get to Nehemiah chapter 6? Well, um, there, there came a time when uh, the Babylonian Empire itself fell. Uh, yeah. there, was, there was an interesting reference in uh, uh, Isaiah, which was written a couple of hundred years before it, uh, it started, and uh, Isaiah specifically names a king named Cyrus, king of Persia, mm-hmm. in Isaiah 45. And he talks about how this, uh, how this king of Persia was going to send the children of Israel back home again from, from exile, which, which he did. Now, this is a prophecy in Isaiah. But what always impresses me is that he, is that he names the name of the man who's going to do it. And he says, yeah. even though you do not acknowledge me. He used yeah. he used this ruler to do that. So that's the he's the king of Persia. When we're living in the world of Nehemiah and the book before it, Ezra, we're still living with uh, the rulership in the land of Persia. Uh, but this is quite a bit down the road, uh, perhaps as much as two hundred years after Isaiah wrote, and mm-hmm. maybe about a hundred years after uh, the time of. Um, uh, Jeremiah, uh, who actually saw what you studied yesterday in uh, in First uh, Chronicles thirty six or Second Chronicles thirty six, right? So and actually, it was it was the mentioned there at the end of Second Chronicles thirty six. Uh, there was, I, th- I think, if I recall, there was, there was a there was an allusion to Jeremiah's prophecy about the the seventy years, years, right? right. And, and that's the same prophecy that gets mentioned in Daniel. There's this this well-known, okay, there's going to be this 70 years, and it's not until that time is up that we're actually going to have this uh, this comeback. Um, right. You know, and, and, well, you know, to, to use the, the Advent language, uh, this time when you get a little uh, you know, shoot coming up from the stump, right? It was, right. was going to wait for right. 70 years to happen here. And so, and so, so you get that, as you were saying, uh, with the decree of, of Cyrus, you know, takes over. So now he is king of uh, Babylon and everything to the east, you know, in the, in the Persian Empire. And his, and his policy is a little bit different. He, he says, you know, uh, well, I, I, think, I think we talked about this before. Uh, right. I think it was like last week that there's kind of a good cop, bad cop thing. And so it's really nice and easy for Persia to come on and play good cop here. And mm-hmm. say like, oh, you know, the Babylonians, they, those guys, they were so mean. But hey, look, we'll uh, we'll send you back to the to the to your to your holy land. We'll give you materials to rebuild your temple. We'll give you we'll give you materials so you can build it twice as tall as it was before. Uh, we'll give you stuff for sacrifices, right? So so they they seem to be extremely supportive, right? In this in this uh, role now, saying like, hey, look, just uh, you know, stick with us, pay your taxes, right? I mean, hey, we're we're not so bad compared to <laughs> compared to the, those guys. Um, but it's it's not all just peachy and no. uh, and rosy here, right? I mean, like you've got uh, 
some people who are these uh, these adversaries, these opponents here that we're dealing with in Nehemiah? I get the impression when we get to chapter six, because we had mentioned also we're going to stop off and visit a little while in chapter two. Yeah. Um, but when we, I get the impression in chapter six that uh, when we're dealing with the people named Sanballat and uh, Tobiah and, and Geshem, that these yeah. were Canaanites, uh, probably mm-hmm. living in Samaria, uh, and, and I would imagine they're living in Samaria because that was a very important city in those days, because there was nothing left in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And the people who came back from exile, uh, if you read in Ezra, just kind of lost steam and just quit doing stuff, which is what the circumstance is behind uh, the story of Nehemiah. They were back from exile after the 70 years, but uh, they just didn't have they just didn't have any any way of being able to rehab um, the city and had no idea how to do it and where to do it and uh, that's why we need a Nehemiah that's why we need an Ezra the book before absolutely it's uh, and it's something that I think that probably in in some ways, well, I think there's different, we can talk about this, there's different moments in more recent history where where it kind of feels like this, where everything's been decimated, and you're just kind of like, okay, uh, now what do we do? There's no instruction manual on this, right? Maybe that's like, you know, the LCMS, the early LCMS, right, when it like, you know, gets over here to America, and they're like, okay, uh, now, now what do we do? do? <laughs> now what do we do? Right? And maybe even there are some ways in which even more recently than that, uh, we might relate mm-hmm. to this. But yeah, let's just go ahead and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll give this a read through. Like you said, uh, Nehemiah chapter two, uh, the first six verses in there uh, do a nice job of giving us a little bit of context. Yes. So we'll, we'll read that little that little bit and then uh, we'll, I'll just hop right over to chapter six and uh, we'll just kind of take it from there. So. Here's, okay. here's the first six verses of Nehemiah chapter 2, and then proceeding on to chapter 6. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence, and the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. All right. And then chapter 6 then, so that just kind of sets us up. That There's, there's Nehemiah introducing things. And then mm-hmm. we get this in chapter 6. Now, when Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem said to me, saying, Come and let us meet together at Hekapirim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? 
And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sanballat for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand, and it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall, and according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up the prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said to me, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, Should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but... He had, he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way in sin, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, O oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days, and when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Arah, and his son Jehonanan had taken the daughter of Meshalam, the son of Berechiah, as, as his wife. Also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. Quite a crew to be opposed to. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it just goes it goes on and on like he's just got enemies all around, uh, people with friends in high places. Right. But he mm -hmm. he does not take the bait. No. Now, now, I think the context once here, once again here is that these people uh, who were opposed to him were, were probably people who have been used to uh, being in charge for the last yeah. century or more. And uh, with some, somebody coming in and, and rebuilding the ruined city of Jerusalem, that was a threat to their power and their authority. Now, they, they had worked with the Persians well enough to have the Persians give them the right to be able to be in charge. And they realized that if uh, uh, Nehemiah would continue his, uh, his work, uh, that they wouldn't be in charge anymore. And that was why they became his opponents. Right. So, so you get this, uh, you know, so back in, back in Persia, right, you know, you've got, you know, Artaxerxes, he's the, he's the big fish, right? He's the big king of the mountain, right? But, right. but over here, right, in the, in the little kid sandbox, there's these little hills, right? <laughs> these, these little mounds. And, and these are the guys in the schoolyard who are used to, you know, being in charge right. of, of these, these little smaller, you know, domains. They're, um, and, and right. And so, so when Nehemiah 
you know, comes in here, starts building a wall. And, and the thing is, I, I think we, we kind of don't get that, but maybe you could elucidate that for us. What, what's the big deal about building a wall? And, and what is it about that, that that makes them afraid of losing influence? There are different reasons for building walls. Um, if, uh, if we can remember from uh, uh, more recent history, uh, there was a wall that was built in China that yeah. was supposed to keep opponents away from, uh, away from them. Uh, there was a wall that was built in Berlin to keep yeah. East Germany and West Germany separated. Uh, and the idea in each of those cases was to distance the people who would come to their cities or come to their territories away from them so they could keep them uh, distance from them. The building of the wall in Jerusalem uh, was of a different sort. Right. Uh, the idea behind it was to be able to set up a, uh, a defense place, yep. a defense boundary where uh, the people who like Sambelet and, and uh, Tobiah uh, might decide to come and invade. Well, they, it would be very difficult to do that when they have to go over a wall in order to get into the city. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, just remembering a little thing that happened to me in one of my earlier jobs, uh, one of the things that I did several years ago was being a hospital chaplain. And uh, the, the president of the hospital uh, came up with uh, what I considered to be a, uh, a crisis every year. Hmm. Sometimes he had to kind of invent one, but he had a crisis every year. It might have been the creditors coming in to work with the mm -hmm. hospital, but the idea behind the crisis was that we would circle our wagons mm -hmm. and, uh, and we would defend ourselves against the aggressors. Mm -hmm. it, it, it worked. It, it gave you the impression from the administration that they liked you and they supported you. And they hmm. did several things during the course of the year to be able to show that support of the staff. I appreciated yeah. that. I realized it was a bit of a game, but it was, it was a good game in that way because it gave us a chance to all be on the same team. That's what the wall was all about. Yeah, that, that's interesting. On the same team. Yeah, well, and it's a helpful illustration. I, I think I think that's spot on. That we we can't think of it like the Great Wall of China or like you know the no. the wall separating East and West Germany in in, in Berlin, right? Like it's um, it, this is not like a, a national border wall, right? That's supposed to separate no. two countries. This this is a wall that goes around a city, and it's really the thing that makes a city a city, right? Um, until until you have a wall, it, it doesn't really. It, it's just kind of a a, a town, right? It's just sort of a, well, it's just kind of another place where people, you know, sleep when they're done working, right? Mm -hmm. But when you right. have a wall, it becomes a real city. And, and I think that, well, yeah, like in your illustration, like where, you know, you were saying there, there's kind of like a crisis kind of like, you know, constantly going on, basically. Um, I mean, that's how it was, right? Like if you didn't have right. a wall, you were vulnerable to just raiders. And that was, that was like their occupation. It was just, they came, they raided. Um, and, and they'd come all the time, uh, probably more, much more often than, than once a year even. So, yeah, well, and, and until, was, you, until you – go ahead. Uh, and it was very possible for this to happen because what we seem to forget is that the territory of Israel is very small geographically. Right. Um, the territory of Israel is roughly the equivalent of the entire Chicago metropolitan area, all of Israel. Right, right. 
Well, so, no, so, uh, so, 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 so it's a, it's a large population um, in a, in a small place. Right. Right. And, right. and if you're going to, you know, have that large population, uh, you know, like you were saying, coordinate, be on the same team. If you're going to have any kind of center of cultural influence where you could coordinate or even uh, proclaim that you have your own king, for example, as they accuse in chapter six, right? Like you, you need to have some kind of like capital base of operations with a wall. I mean, I mean, like right. it's just it's it's essential. So so right. So I I think that that kind of really helps us understand that this wall is kind of basically like refounding Judah as yes. its own entity. Um, and until you have the wall, you, you can't even do that. So so you can see why politically, uh, like you're saying, yeah, these these guys feel like their their turf is is getting stepped on a little bit. Yeah, and they get the impression, especially putting up the wall, because they already tried to oppose putting up the wall in Chapter 4 of Nehemiah. And uh, they even made fun of it, saying, oh, this isn't, isn't going to work. Right. Um, but, you know, the problem was that it was working. And that's why Sambella and Tobiah got to be so um, pushy when it came to uh, trying to get um, Nehemiah to do what he wanted, they wanted him to do. So taking taking a, a quick step back, looking looking back at chapter two, then oh yeah, yeah. Um, it's good stuff. What, what what do you think about like the boldness here of of Nehemiah's request and, and like and, and a couple different moments? I mean, it's interesting. I think um, being afraid is a big theme in the, the part that we read in in chapter two, and then also throughout chapter six. The question is, like, who are you going to be afraid of and, and what are you afraid of, right? And the enemies right. are trying to intimidate him and get him to be afraid. Here in chapter 2, he just admits he is afraid yes. of the king. So what's he afraid of here, though? And, and, and what's, the, what's the tension here while he's making this request? And, I mean, it even mentions, you know, that the queen is there, right? So, like, what, what, is, what do we make of all this stuff? Let me run a couple of biblical parallels. In fact, th- these aren't just remote things. This is These are almost contemporary to the time of Nehemiah. Uh, there are stories in the book of Daniel and stories in the book of Esther about what happens when somebody approaches the throne of a king. Right. And if the king decides that he does not want to pay any attention to somebody, um, Esther is a good example of that, um, right. his wife could have been killed for trying to come into his presence. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it was a scary thing to do that. Now, uh, we get the impression that Nehemiah was uh, King Artaxerxes' butler. So he was doing his job. Mm-hmm. But apparently, King Artaxerxes realized that he was, uh, uh, that, that there was something about him that, uh, that, was, that was different. He looked like uh, he was almost sick. Yeah. And I think I think what we have going on here inside of Nehemiah, and and oh, what a good what a good story Nehemiah is. Uh, Nehemiah, I think, was involved in uh, borrowing a little bit from a theme from Daniel, uh, in what one of my uh, Bible tour guides, John Goldingay, calls uh, a an arrow prayer. An arrow prayer is a specific prayer. Uh, I know my wife sometimes. Uh, when she was out for lunch for an hour, uh, needed to stop off at stores and stuff like that, and she prayed for a for a place right next to the front door of the grocery store. That's mm. an arrow prayer. <laughs> uh, 
Well, you know, what, what he's doing, and, you know, that, that might have been silly, but I think that's exactly what, uh, what Nehemiah is doing. He's mm-hmm. praying that he had, would have the opportunity to speak to the king in this way, and the king allowed him to do that. And he was wise enough to say what was on his heart instead of just making some sort of uh, appropriate request. Because well, he knew it, that the request would not be honored if it wasn't from his heart. Well, and, and I think that yeah, I, I like I like I like that term arrow prayer. I mean, the thing is about yeah. an arrow prayer, right? If you're going to be going and you're you're going to say, you know what, I'm going for it. I'm shooting for the bullseye, right? I mean, it, it's that there's there's boldness to it, right? Um, yeah. It, it kind of reminds me like at, at, you do like uh, I don't know like mini golf, and at the very end, it's like you can go for like you know the thing with the like the best score at the end, but there's usually like you know little like you know crocodiles and castles and moats around it, right? Um, right. So, so you can't just take the, the safer route that just you know gets a low, uh, not as good of a score, but it, it's safer, right? But he he's going for it. So there's the, there's his boldness, and we gotta talk about the the boldness of Nehemiah. But it's time for a break, everybody. We're gonna be right back here looking at Nehemiah on Thy Strong Word. Be right back. In 2020, the world was blindsided. At the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, we quickly refocused on how to best serve the church. Our COVID-19 response team took action, reaching out and listening to our borrowers. In response, we offered a number of financial remedies that allowed our borrowers time to stabilize. We also provided online streaming kits for churches, gift cards for food pantries, financial support for LCMS church workers, and much more. Life's not yet back to normal, and that's why we're still here for you. Visit lcef.org to learn more. How do I keep my kids in church? Will there still be a church for them to go to? New people have moved into my neighborhood. How do I reach out to them? Our challenges are many, but it is Jesus who makes disciples for life through his church. Let's come together as the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod to discuss this joyful work. Learn more about the Making Disciples for Life initiative at lcms.org slash making disciples. Again, that's lcms.org slash making disciples. Did you know that your individual retirement account may make the best gift to KFUO? The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directly to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular long-term resources to KFUO. If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Nehemiah today, a little bit of chapter 2, and focusing here on chapter 6, talking about fear and boldness, uh, the the boldness here of Nehemiah making this request, just going for it here. He's got the opportunity with the king, and he says, all right, we're just, we're just going all in. We're going to, we're just going to go ahead and just, just make the request. Um, <laughs> there's a, there's a, there's a few things that are pretty ironic about it, uh, especially for a man such as Nehemiah 
to be so bold as to make that request. We're joined today by Pastor Doug Nicely, pastor at Jerusalem Lutheran Church, the only Jerusalem Lutheran Church in the LCMS in Collinsville, (laughs) Illinois. If you've got a question for us, give us a call if you're listening live, 1-800-730-2727, or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. You can also send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. Got a couple of questions here. Uh, kind of looking at this uh, is so. I guess this is an interesting question that, that's worth considering here. Mm-hmm. Um, what biblical worldview about the coming Messiah did the Persianized noblemen and priestly elite have during Ezra and Nehemiah's time? Uh, was it the same as ours? And, and related to that, here are we in a period of spiritual enslavement to the civil, political, and cultural powers of our day as the Persian serfs residing in this satrapy? During Ezra and Nehemiah's time, I, I love uh, any word that related to satrap, uh, and especially yeah. satrapy. Uh, yeah, so those are those are good questions. Thinking about you know how how did uh, the Persians influence the uh, the people of God here, and and you see some influence in just in the way that actually Nehemiah talks, uh, which, which is worth talking about um, as we consider. I, I mean, this is this is the balance, right? People talk about contextualizing mm-hmm. the gospel and being right. uh, missional and being incarnational, but there's also being assimilated and uh, you know, living among and then just becoming the Canaanites, right? So right. it's a it's a tightrope. Um, we'll we'll, we'll get is. to that in just one second. I just wanted to uh, also just mention we do have also, if you have any questions, you can hop on facebook.com slash AJ Espinosa. I uh, got some questions there. We can also talk about in just a minute. I want to thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, lhfmissions.org, a good website to check out afterwards. Those are our underwriters. Thank you guys for supporting Thy Strong Word. Mm-hmm. All right. So, yeah, brother, um, you know, as, as we're looking at this here, and you, and you were saying, uh, you know, so, yeah, he, he is bold, and he's just going to go for it here. It's, it's really interesting because I think that a lot of the details here um, do point to Nehemiah being— um, Persianized <laughs> in a couple different ways, and, and you mentioned one of them uh, that it was really something in the ancient world for uh, another man to be allowed in the presence. Well, first of all, in the king's presence, um, like, like have an audience with the king like that in close quarters, uh, but but to be in the presence of his queen, and yeah. that is one of the hints that a lot of scholars have used to say and to deduce that Nehemiah was a eunuch. Uh, that this was a standard practice in the Persian court. It's the only reason why he would have been allowed uh, to be near the king and the queen together like this. Um, and so you, you have here uh, not simply just uh, the king's cupbearer, um, but the, the king's eunuch. And this mm-hmm. is pretty interesting, pretty bold for the eunuch to be going after this request and saying, yeah, I want to... <laughs> Go to, go and rebuild Jerusalem. Uh, what, right. what what do you what do you make of that? Uh, that was that was a bold request. Uh, once again, borrowing that term, that's an obvious that's an obvious indication of his arrow prayer. Yeah, uh, you know he's he's really trying his hardest to do what it is that he has prayed for. Now all of us have our ways of doing arrow prayers, but you know what he really wanted to do was we wanted to accomplish 
what uh, apparently wasn't being accomplished back back in his home territory. And remember, if you're if you're dealing with living in Persia, you're a thousand miles away yeah. from uh, Jerusalem. So, you know, all this had to be hearsay. And, and he just felt as though um, he wanted uh, he wanted to, to be in that role uh, because he felt as though he was the one that God had chosen to do this. Now, being chosen by God does not necessarily mean that you have um, a right amount of years of education mm-hmm. or a, an appropriate amount of income. Um, he just had this on his heart. And, uh, yeah. and and that's what he was doing. Had the, well, had the and, king not decided to agree, it would have been nothing. Well, and, and to your point about status, too, um, from from a Hebrew perspective, it wasn't a plus that he's a eunuch. Um, no. Th- this, this is something that, uh, you know, in the Old Testament, it, it's something that makes you unclean. So just forget about participating in, in a lot of the important um, uh, parts and moments of, of the Hebrew community life, um, you know, like worship life in the, in the people of God. Um, we'll see that in th- th- chapter six. Exactly. Right. Like, yeah. and this would, this would account for why he he's refusing to go in the temple. He's like, no, I, I can't do it. Right. Well, so that plus, so, that plus he wasn't a priest. Uh, right. No, no, that, that's right. So, I mean, you, you do have, uh, there, there are moments where, you know, you, you can lay your, um, hands not necessarily like in, in the, there's different levels, of course, of being in the temple, right? But, you know, lots of people could be in the temple courtyard. Um, you know, people who are seeking sanctuary could grip the, the horns of the altar, things like that. Um, but that's not an option that's available to him uh, be, because of this because of this uncleanness. Uh, it, it is pretty interesting. We could talk uh, more about that. But uh, there's some interesting stuff about how the word for uh, eunuch and the word for uh, cupbearer, like they're, they're super close, but we, we don't have time to get into that. Mm. But... But just the idea of, you know, he's not the kind of guy that Judah necessarily even wants <laughs> as a leader. Um, no. It doesn't even make sense to have him be a king because he can't have a son. I, I mean, so like for all these things, it, it is, it's really something for this guy who, I mean, he, he doesn't have a lot going on. He doesn't necessarily even have the support and favor of his countrymen. Like you're, like you're saying, he's, he's out in suicide. He doesn't know what's going on. And he just goes for it, though. There There is a... There is a boldness of faith here. Uh, Ezra probably had better credentials because he was a priest. Yeah. Um, but uh, but it seems after you get finished reading Ezra that uh, things weren't going well when he was there either. He was there first. And Ezra mm-hmm. does, does show up in the book of Nehemiah. Um, but it really seems as though Nehemiah becomes the governor uh, of, uh, of Judah uh, right. when he goes back again. Mm-hmm. And, and that's one of the reasons why he does what he does. Um, the, the, the Persians were kind of interesting. Once again, uh, that, that's, that's, uh, that's the note you got. Uh, once again, take a look at Isaiah chapter 45. Uh, and, and, and you can see very clearly, and this is a prophecy, I understand. But um, let me quote to you once again. He says, I am the Lord. There is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me. Hmm that people may know from the rising of the sun from the West, that there is no one beside me. I am the Lord and there is no other. So the impression we get from the scriptures 
and from Isaiah's prophecy specifically, is that the Persians were being used by God to accomplish the purpose of his kingdom, even though um, they, they had no idea that they were following the Lord's agenda, nor that they were following the Lord. Yeah, well, and that reminds me of uh, when we were talking about, uh, it was back in, I think, was it uh, First Kings, maybe? Uh, but when we were talking about um, Elijah and, and just how, you know, God's uh, commanding the widow uh, to feed him, and she doesn't even know what's going on at right. first, right? Um, he commands the, the birds to sustain him. Uh, the bird, it's not like the birds like, were like, yes, sir, you know, and, and, <laughs> and we're like, okay, guys, we're going to go, you know, uh, you know, operation feed Elijah here. No, I mean, God, God's commanding everyone and everything, uh, all things, what, like you said, like whether you know it or not. Um, I mean, that's from uh, a modern perspective, uh, that, that's what we refer to as, uh, in some ways, um, just law. Like we talk about like natural law. Um, we talk about like laws of human behavior. I mean, it, right. it's it's the glue, it's the order, right? That holds everything together is God uh, directing things. And so just look at how providential this is. And uh, I, I see uh, Paul on Facebook. Yeah, you're thinking the same thing I'm thinking. Um, look how providential this is that the eunuch here uh, works up the courage to make this request because he's actually now a better choice for for uh, Artaxerxes to have go down and be governor because he cannot have a son and because he is ceremonially unclean and he can't, he's not going to like have the support of the people that like rallies around him and, and, and makes him into a, uh, a, a kingly figure. You know, no one's going to say like, Oh, look, this is the Messiah. No. So, so it, it really is just amazing how this, this works out and, and there's this boldness and he just goes for it, and it's it's uh yeah it's it's hard because it's interesting how it says you know he wants to rebuild this, and then in chapter six, um, yeah, the we have conspirators will take yep. that same line of reasoning and twist mm-hmm. it around and use it as uh, what should we say? A That's tweet? right. Yeah, 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 I know, right? Yeah, so so they're just tweeting this stuff out, and it's like it, this is a really easy way for the disinformation campaign. To just to just catch on here because it's true mm-hmm. the, the the people of Judah are rebellious people and, and in fact th- this is this is part of the problem when you when you look at uh, Ezra especially right you know they, they did rebel against Assyria and and uh, rebel you could say like against Egypt and you know they, they were two time in people and you know re- rebelled against I mean so so you, you have all these different moments and so uh, they're gonna be able to dr- uh, kind of just drag this stuff and say like hey look uh, do you really want to be giving uh, your your support, uh, O Emperor, to these rebellious Judahites. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, we got we got a call here. We got James on the phone. Uh, oh, good. James, good morning, Hi, brother. James. Always good to hear from you. Good to good to hear you again, uh, Pastor. Nicely, I always enjoy James, you I, come on the Bible studies. James, I'm happy to be able to put you on my list to receive my emails every day. And and they're so such a blessing to me and my family. Thank you so very much for that. You're most welcome. And uh, brother, uh, uh, oh, moderator. Yes, sir. I like to point AJ. These, <laughs> AJ, I'm sorry. Uh, I'd like to parse these two questions uh, between the both of you guys. Okay. And I want to give you the, the first one that I sent in, AJ, because yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at these Persianized noble and priestly elite 
and yeah. how in chapter five, uh, the righteous indignation that Nehemiah had because of their behavior towards their kinsmen. Mm-hmm. And in Ezra, they didn't want the uh, Samaritans around them to help them build. Mm-hmm. Is this the beginning of a, like a Pharisaic mind? Mm-hmm. And if you can kind of answer that question in the context of, you know, are they trying to have an ax to grind against Nehemiah because of his righteous yeah. indignation and rebuke of them in uh, chapter 5, uh, verses 6 through 8? Okay. Yeah, good question. And and for Pastor and for Pastor Nicely, um, yeah, yeah. I heard you talking about Isaiah uh, chapter forty-five. Mm-hmm. Why was the Why was King Cyrus of Persia called the Anointed of Yahweh in uh, Isaiah chapter forty-five? Okay. And uh, how significant How significant is the return of the exiles to our eschatological understanding today. Okay. And and I'll hang up and listen. Thank you, James. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, James. Yeah, uh, uh, really, really good questions as always. Um, so taking that first one here, this is, this is a good question to be asking because, okay, he's got, you know, enemies all around, Nehemiah does. So, hey, if, if the, uh, you know, if, if some of the people in the North are going to ask and say, hey, you know, like, we, we can help you out, you know, like, you know, why don't we just, we'll, we'll get on, in on this together, right? Um, you know, so why why wouldn't he take some allies, right? Like, why why would he say, like, oh, no, no, uh, we're, we're doing this ourselves? Um, yeah, so you, you could, I, I can see how you can line that up, right, with, like, say, like, the parable of the Good Samaritan, right, mm-hmm. and... And you could say, like, oh, look, here they are just being really, you know, like, hey, we're just going to take our ball and play over here. And, you know, this is kind of that that um, well, that kind of self-righteousness. Right. And in, in the in the bad sense, I, I can see that. But I, I, I'm, I'm actually not inclined to be so hard on them. Um, and, and, I, and I'm thinking about some Old Testament parallels, um, the, the two that come to mind immediately. And these are ones that I think we've talked about. One, you have um, Abraham uh, buying the grave for his wife um, and for the family plot. Uh, and then later, you've got David acquiring uh, that piece of territory there in Jebus for the altar of God, which would, which would then become the, the, the focal point and the center uh, piece of the temple there in mm-hmm. Jebus or later Jerusalem. And in both of those instances, there is an offer on the table that those would be given to them as gifts. And they say, no, uh-uh, no, 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 I can't take it. I'm not taking your money. I'm buying, or I'm not taking this uh, this gift. I'm buying it here. Here's my money, right? And so you think, well, why is that? Is this, is this, is this pride? You know, like why, why can't, well, you got to stop and you got to understand the ancient notions of gift giving. Cause, uh, and this is something that actually is, goes on to, to this day, actually, a number of traditional cultures. Um, the thing that I'm always, I don't know, this is just an interesting illustration to me. If you if you give someone, say, um, an animal, like some kind of a, a field animal, and that animal uh, reproduces, right, has has offspring, in, in these cultures, you, you, like, have to give back some of the offspring from this, from this given animal, this gift animal, to the person who gave it to you. Now, now you would say, now hang on a second. Why is that? Uh, it's a gift. They gave it, right? Like that's not really a gift that you expect something in return. 
well, that, that's that's not how it works though in these cultures. There's there's always this sense if you're if you're given something, that that person has a stake in it. They they have a, they have a claim on it. Like it, it's it's inseparable because it's an extension of them. So it's like I, I think when, like when you, you look at it in those because I gave it to you. Well, it, it, it's it's almost like because because you didn't buy it from me, it's still part of me, and right. it would just be disrespectful to act like, you know, like I've got nothing to do with it, right? Like disrespectful in the sense of like, I, I, I don't know what, pretending that a son has nothing to do with his father, right? If it's, if it's from them, like it, there's a connection that, that's undeniable. And so I, I think that when you look at the request, then Nehemiah is like, hey, look, uh, no, we're not going to have the Samaritans help us out because then what's going to happen later? They're going to say, hey, we helped you build the temple, right? We helped you build the wall, well, don't we have some share in this? And like, shouldn't we be able to put our altar in there? And shouldn't we be able to, you know, like here's some of the stuff that we're doing up here in Samaria, right? Here's some of the worship that we did on Mount Gerizim. So, so I, I, I see it actually as a really legitimate move in this culture that he needs to say, no, look, we're, we're doing this ourselves because we're doing this for, for Yahweh and, and the way that we know in Jerusalem. And even the Lord Jesus himself said to the Samaritan woman, we worship what we know, where yes, you do not know what you worship and and um, and the uh, financial the financial uh connection usually usually can complicate uh, a relationship um in the new testament saint paul says that's exactly why i didn't receive any money from you corinthians yep yep good because i didn't want you to because i didn't want you to rule over me Mm -hmm. And, and that didn't mean he was supposed to have authority and they didn't he was just saying that you know uh, because because you didn't pay me, uh, that means that you have no control over me. That's right. In the same yep. way, they, they, don't, they don't have a stake in it. They don't have a, a share in it. It's it's uh, yeah. He hasn't he hasn't had to surrender right any any of that authority. Um, and you can yeah, so, so, you can see so, that with Samballat and Tobiah and Gisham in, in chapter six of Nehemiah. Mm-hmm. That's what they're trying to do. Yep. They're, they're trying to exer- uh, exercise their influence. E- exactly. So. So yeah, so if you can't if you can't beat him, join him, right? And, and uh, but Nehemiah sees through that too. Like, uh, yeah, no, it's it's it, that's going to be the the backdoor way that they end up defeating this whole project because it won't be um, a, a city of God. It'll be a city of all the stuff that they're involved with. Uh, so yeah, great question, James. Uh, the other question yep. that he had directed for you, brother, was uh, regarding uh, what what was it in particular? I was king of Persia in that's uh, right, the anointed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the word anointed, uh, we could translate Messiah, uh, which sounds pretty heavy duty. Um, yes. but, uh, but another way of translating it would be chosen. That God yeah. has chosen uh, Cyrus to do this. Um, now, uh, Cyrus is doing this not necessarily because he is a Messiah, um, not in the sense that we understand Jesus is the Messiah, but what he was doing was he was accomplishing God's will on earth as it was in heaven. Uh, and, and that was, um, as I mentioned before, um, despite the fact that he did not know God nor acknowledge him. But yet God used what Cyrus decided. I, I keep telling people, I get the impression from, uh, uh, from uh, the... Uh, uh, from uh, from the, uh, the the books of the Bible that uh, specifically talk about this, um, that 
Cyrus came um, to Babylon after he conquered it, was looking around, and he said, who are all these people? And they said, they're Jews. And he said, where do they come from? And they said, they come from a thousand miles away from here, and the Babylonians took them, uh, uh, took them out here in captivity 70 years ago. And Cyrus said, send them home. <laughs> that was yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, uh, that, that, was, that was his, his anointed purpose to accomplish well, and, that. Well, and, and we know, too, from, from um, extra-biblical sources that this was, this was the policy that he had in general, that, that yeah. he did this not just for the Israelites, but for lots of people. But for for uh, all uh, sorts of nations, right. So which once just again, makes it all the more remarkable, be, really. So once again, he would be, uh, he would be considered to be a, uh, a more generous and gracious right. ruler than yep. the Babylonians had been. Uh, there could be a personal agenda behind what Cyrus was doing. Sure. But the point here uh, that we have in Isaiah's prophecy, remember Isaiah's writing this over a hundred years before it happened. But the point here is that um, God used, even if Cyrus was just trying to play a political game yep. with, with the uh, leftover loyalty for the people from Babylon, even though he was trying to do that, God used it to accomplish sending people back home again from exile. That was God's purpose. That's why he was anointed. Not that he well, was God's servant for anything other than that one task. That, that's right. That's right. Well, and, and so it just, it makes it, well, I mean, and you, and you see the same thing, I, I think, um, in in uh, Esther as, as well, just how, right. I, I mean, you know, he ends up using the very gallows, right, that uh, was meant for Mordecai, right, to, right. to actually... Well, you know, spoiler alert there, right? But I mean, this is what this is what happens, right? God is is using everyone, like you were saying, everyone in their agendas and their plots and their plans, and says, mm-hmm. "All right, you want to do that? Well, it's still going to serve my purpose in the end." Um, and so you, you have a really, I think, in the Persian period with with these uh, with these texts like Nehemiah and, and Esther, just a really strong sense of God just being over all things, and even when it looks like someone else is in control. Um, well, I mean, there, there's the irony, right? Like, like in, in, uh, verse seven where, uh, they're, they're coming at him and Nehemiah and they're saying, Hey, look, uh, you know, the, the, you're, you're sending up these, uh, these prophets to say, you know, there is a King in Judah and, you know, we're going to like send these reports, uh, back to Persia, unless you come over here and talk to us. Right. Uh, unless we can straighten this out. Um, <laughs> and, and, and there you have it. Like there, there's, there is this, uh, there's this sense that, well, no, actually, God is the king, and God's the king. Even if, even if per, even if Persia's in charge, even if Artaxerxes, um, you know, is, is the one who's who's nominally in control. I mean, and this goes back to so just to, to scroll up just for a second here, but like, and we've seen this before too when we looked at uh, the Book of Daniel. But when when Nehemiah prays there um, oh, yeah. in chapter two, what's he say? He says, "I prayed to the God of heaven." And and you see this as uh, this is the way, like in in Ezra and Nehemiah and Daniel, that God gets referred to. It's the way that the Persians talked about God. Um, but it's like you know what? That's okay. That's okay that it's your term because you know what? It works for us too. And we know that our God is in charge of even all the stuff uh, that you guys have. I mean, so there really is just a boldness there to to act and to say. You know, yeah. I mean, it's it's yeah. I'm I'm uh, the eunuch of of uh, the king of Persia, right? Uh, I don't I don't have standing. Um, everything 
about me is just screaming uh, Gentile Persian. But you know what? I'm not going to let it stop me because I know who's really in control. So uh, let me let me uh, do a little little bit of a summary about um, Nehemiah. Yeah, please, please, yeah. Um, Nehemiah, uh, we get the impression is a is a true servant in every in every way, shape, and form. Um, he did not he did not receive uh, the income he was supposed to have. Uh, we get the impression that uh, from the earlier chapters that he didn't have, uh, you know, good good food to eat because he was the governor. Uh, in fact, we get the impression that uh, he took his turn when the building of the wall, uh, standing there and watching, you know, for all the Canaanites. So you had to have uh, so you had to have a sword in one hand and uh, and and building tools in the other. Right. And he he took his turn watching the walls, and he took his turn building the walls, too. And one of the things that's so refreshing about Nehemiah is that at every point in his book, in his letter, where he's, uh, where he's concerned about something, he turns to the Lord and prays. Yeah. You find it over and over again in Nehemiah. And, and, and thank oh you for that summary, because it's so relatable then for us, right? Because, you know, yeah, even if we're not you know, of, of the line of David and we have power and influence. And even if we're looked look down upon and, and we seem to be kind of the opposite of what we, we think is going to win people over or, uh, you know, have support. There's a boldness that comes, like you said, from that relationship in, in prayer and knowing God's sovereignty and that you can, you can go for it because it's not about you. You're, you, ought to, you can leave your pride behind and right. say, it doesn't matter. I know, I know who's, who's in, char- in charge. And instead... Just pray arrow prayers. That's our word for the day. Yeah, I like it. (laughs) Thank you so much, brother. I've I've enjoyed our conversations. I'm I'm taking arrow prayers with me here uh, for our conversation today. Uh, God bless you and the people in Jerusalem. And God bless you and your good folks in California. (laughs) Thank you, brother. Everybody, that was Pastor Doug Nicely, pastor at Jerusalem Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois. All right, next time we are going to go on to that one more Old Testament book we got to take a look at before we go into the New Testament next week. We're going to be looking at uh, Esther. All right, so it's just, we already talked about it a little bit today, but just how God is in control of everything, even when God's name is never mentioned. Until next time, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.